My belly trembled, and my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the field, and there shall be no herd in the stalls yet. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds' feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places. Amen. I'm going to do my best to, to talk about Habakkuk and the prayer that he prayed. And, and we talk about these these prayers from the Scripture. We're, we, we discuss them sometimes because of the, the words that are said and sometimes because of the context in which they're prayed in because we find familiarity with that in our own lives and in Habakkuk's case we can find familiarity both with the words that were prayed and with the context in, when, in which it was prayed some some things about the human condition are consistent to every person's experience we all live different lives we all experience different things we all come from unique backgrounds and where we may be born into dramatically different stations of life there there are some things that are different about us from from the very beginning but there are some things that we have in common amen Regardless of the color of your skin, regardless of the last name that you were given at birth, or regardless of the financial status or well-being of your family or the, the group that you were born into, regardless of what advantages or disadvantages you may have had in life, there is a settled fact that you were born into a world of adversity. We will all suffer adversity. We will all deal with difficulties, with pain, with challenges of every sort. That's a natural part of life, amen? It's not just because of where you live. It's not, it, you know, adversity is no respecter of person or social status or, uh, or, or the, the amount of money you've got in your bank account or, or any of the how, how good of a person you may have been. You're going to deal with adversity because that's a natural part of the human condition, amen? So the question tonight is not whether or not we'll encounter adversity. The question is how will we deal with it when it comes upon us? Because human nature tends to readily complain about adversity. When we have trouble and trial, we're, we're looking for somebody with a sympathetic ear so we can tell all that's going on and complain. Amen? You, you may not want the public to know your business. Some of you may not get on Facebook and tell the whole world. Some do, but some don't. But you're looking for a sympathetic friend that you can talk to and, and, and air out your grievances. Amen? And the, the problem with that sometimes is that we typically complain in the wrong directions. For example, we tend to talk about God rather than talk to God. Or we tend to complain about God rather than complain to God. And so the first thing that we notice in Habakkuk's prayer is that he took his complaint to God, directly to God. He doesn't complain about God, but he does complain to God 
about the thing that God has allowed to happen in his life. And Habakkuk's experience shows us that God's willing to hear our needs and help us deal with our problems even when he does not answer in the way we expect or in the way we might ask him to. Amen? Yeah, I prayed before and said, Lord, I need you to do this. And he doesn't always take my instructions so well, but he does all things good. He doesn't always take my suggestions real well, but he does all things good. He doesn't always remove and alleviate the, the problem and the trouble and the trial, but he makes all things work together for good. I can't always explain it. I can't see from here how it's all going to work out when I get through the trial, but my God has never yet failed me. Amen? We could spend our time feeling sorry for ourselves and pitying our circumstances, but it's unproductive to do that. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't affect anything. And Habakkuk shows us the correct response, how we should respond to seasons of adversity. And every single one of us, if you are not presently going through some type of adversity in your life, I, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I can tell you it's going to happen sooner or later. Amen? Every one of us is going to go through hard times. Every one of us is going to walk through trial and trouble and, and turbulence and chaos. And so the, the prayer of Habakkuk gives us a good example of how we should handle it. Amen? He began by introducing his adversities through complaint, and he directed his complaint to God. But because he directed his complaint to God, he was able to, f to, to pivot from that complaint to God to certain keys to his victory. The first was prayer. The second is praise. The third is worship. And he was able to advance through his adversity because he prayed about it, because he praised the Lord, and because he entered into a place of worship. I'm here to tell you, if you want to get out of your trouble, the answer is not to sit down and mope about it. Amen? The answer is not to find somebody to complain to about it. The answer is to lift up the Lord, to magnify him. I, I, I'm, I'm an absolute, this is, this is a Pentecostal church, and I'm an absolute believer you can worship your way out of trouble. I'm an absolute believer you can praise your way out of circumstance. You say, Brother McCall, when I begin to praise him, that, that's not going to change the fact that I'm overdrawn at the bank or that the kid's sick or whatever. I'm going to tell you something. Don't put any limits on God. When you begin to praise him, there's no limit to what he can do. But if it doesn't change your bank account, if it doesn't change the health of your child, if it doesn't affect the circumstance in any visible way, you can mark it down. It's going to change you. And that's what matters. Amen. All of us experience adversity. And Habakkuk shows us some significant keys to living through it. And that's, I think, the key word in our title is through. Habakkuk's prayer, not to avoid adversity, not to be delivered from adversity, not to, to not have to feel the, we all want to be delivered from it, not feel the effects of it. But this is how to pray through it. Amen? Now, we said everybody experiences adversity, and there are several different sources of adversity in, in your life. There is different to each individual as our history and past and all the things that make us unique. Some of us face adversity in the workplace. 
Some of us may face adversity from family members. Some of the adversity may originate with our neighbors or coworkers or former business partners or even those that we once called friends. Amen. Adversity comes from a lot of different places. But in the Old Testament, the word adversity is translated from a Hebrew word that means these things. Enmity, need, distress, anxiety, anguish, or trouble. Adversity includes all the challenges and troubles that you face in your life. Everything, no matter the source, no matter where it comes from, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what the situation is, when you find yourself in need, when you find yourself in distress, when you find yourself dealing with anxiety, who hasn't dealt with anxiety, amen? Then you're facing adversity. You're facing what preachers, we like to call it a storm, amen? You're going to go through a storm because there's so many biblical examples of storms in Scripture. And so we talk about the storms of adversity, and they're, they're definitely an aspect of the human life. There's, there's no denying their reality or escaping their inevitability. Every one of us is going to go through storms of adversity, amen? But it's vital not to make the mistake of presuming that Adversity is a signal of your level of or lack of relationship with God. We sometimes look at people, you remember the story in the scripture about the blind man? And they, they asked, you know, how to get blind? Well, his parents must have sinned. It must have been he was born blind. It must have been because his parents sinned. Sometimes we want to look at somebody who's going through, I, I know none of you do. I know that none of us do that, but, but there are people who do. So I'm just going to talk to those people who do that are not here. But look at somebody who's going through a hardship and going through adversity and think, you know, God's judging them for something. God's, God, they, they've, they've surely messed up. They've fallen out of favor with God. I'm going to tell you something. The storm is not a sign that you've fallen out of favor with God. As a matter of fact, the storm is often a sign that you're right where God wants you to be. Amen? Because we grow through storms. We learn through storms. We, we become better Christians through storms and trials and trouble and circumstances. So storms don't determine the will of God for your life, and they don't indicate your level of spiritual standing with God. Instead, they build integrity and they build maturity and, and, and they cause an honest-hearted believer to grow in Christ. And that's what it's all about. Amen? Sometimes it's going to happen. Storms are going to come simply because we're human, simply because we live in a fallen, sinful life, fallen, sinful world, not life. But Sometimes it's going to happen simply because it's part of the human condition. We inherited trouble and trial from Adam and Eve. Amen. But sometimes God's going to put you in the storm intentionally. Sometimes he's going to send you into the storm. He's going to create the trial. He's going to create the test in order to facilitate your growth. You know, Satan appears before God, but it's God who brings up Job. Not Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? And it's it's God who takes down the hedge and allows adversity to come into Job's life. But through it, Job says, at the beginning, Job's a righteous and upright man. There's none like him in all the world. But at the end, Job says, finally, I have seen you, God. There's a, there's a depth of spiritual growth that happens in the life of Job that could not have been accomplished any other way. 
So no matter where your adversity comes from, no matter why your adversity comes, it, no matter what causes it or, or who you may blame for it, the thing that you've got to understand is that Jesus Christ has promised to be with you in the middle of your storm. Amen? It doesn't matter why it's come upon you. It doesn't matter where it come from. He has promised in Matthew 28 and 20, says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So God doesn't send you out to face the storm on your own. God doesn't send you out to face the chaos and, and trouble and trial of this life on your own. He will always be at your side. He will always be right there with you. He's always walking with you there to assure your success. And I come to tell somebody in this house on a Wednesday night that God's abiding presence uh, is the answer to all of our weaknesses, all of our shortcomings, all of our failures and all of our fears and and let's face it adversity often generates fear in us amen I've, I've said so many times the devil's first way of attacking is to is with fear and getting your mind with fear and you and, and getting you in that place where you're almost paralyzed by fear of what could be fear of what might be the doctor says a few words and your mind goes off in a in a million miles and you've got you've already got yourself diagnosed and you're terminal and the doctor hadn't even got done telling you what your fever is or what your temperature is that's the way the enemy works Amen. But in the face of fear and in the face of anxiety, amen, we have a God who stands with us. Uh, we have a God uh, who abides with us. His presence is with us. Uh, amen. And we can stop in those moments and recognize, uh, amen, fear doesn't have any hold on me because whatever I go through, amen, he's going to go through it with me. Whatever I face, uh, he's going to be right there with me. Amen. I don't have anything to fear. Amen. What's the worst thing that could happen? to me i lose my life and gain heaven as a reward we can give thanks to god because we don't have to face our adversities alone he's with us and his presence gives us victory over every fearful circumstance over every circumstance that causes anxiety whatever we face jesus has promised to be with us let's let's consider an example from scripture Turning to Mark chapter 6, and Brother Dennis is going to put it on the screen, verse 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. So Jesus sent them, he sent them across the sea, he sent them away, and he went to pray. And they're in the middle of the sea, and he's alone on the land. And the scripture says, And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed them by. Read that a million times. Don't know if I ever read it with those words emphasized. Jesus sends his disciples into the storm. They're in the sea. He's on the land, and he sees them. And, and this is, Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. He sees all. He knows all. And he sees them in the storm. 
He sees them toiling and rowing. He understands that the wind is contrary to them. And so he sets out to go to them in the storm. But the scripture says he would have passed them by. He would have passed them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him or were troubled. And immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. So while it's clear that Jesus cares very much about us, and it's clear that Jesus is going to be with us always, it's also important to notice that, one, he sent his disciples into the storm, and two, it was their responsibility to embrace his presence in the time of adversity. The scriptural account is clear. Jesus comes walking across the waves, but he would have passed them had they not called out. That's not out of spite. That's teaching a lesson. You see, it's not enough just to say, well, God's with me in everything I go through. If I don't recognize his presence, if I don't call out to him in the midst of my adversity, amen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving out my strength. I'm leaving out my source of, uh, of, of ability and strength to conquer my trial and my trouble. Amen. If, if everything that I can do in and of myself is a mere one, of everything that God can do whenever I go through my trial and my circumstance and, and I neglect to pray and I neglect to call out to God and I neglect to reach out and get a hold of Him who is present with me I'm leaving out 99% of what could have happened does that make sense? so the scripture kind of is clear disciples must cling to the promise that the Lord is going to be there and not hesitate to call out to him, even when you're afraid. They were afraid. They didn't know whether it was God or a ghost. But they cried out. Let's look at another example in Scripture. Second Corinthians, or I'm sorry, Second Kings. Uh, and I, I don't think Dennis did. I, I don't. Yeah, I did give this to you. Let me kind of set it up a little bit. In Second Kings, chapter six, beginning at verse eight, and you don't have that. The king of Syria came against Israel, and, and the Syrian king explained to his servants where the Syrian army was going to set up its camp. But God revealed the king's plans to a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha then went to the king of Israel and told him where the Assyrians were going to set up their camp. And the king of Israel went and warned the people who lived in that area that the Assyrians were coming in to set up their camp. And when the Syrian king found out that the Israelites had been forewarned, that they were ready for him, he thought his first thought was, there's a traitor in the camp. I've got a traitor in my army. We're about to have a witch hunt, and we're going to find who's feeding information to the Israelites. But then one of his servants stepped up and told the king, and Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 12 tells the same story. Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. In other words, there's a God that hears you when you're plotting and you're full making plans against his people and you're, you're making all your, your, your plans of how you're going to invade. There's a God that hears you in your bedchamber and he tells his man and his man tells the king. 
And so when the king of Syria heard, and he also heard that Elisha was in Dothan, then he sent an army to surround Dothan. His plan was to capture Elisha, take away this advantage that the Israelites had. We'll pick up the reading in, in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning with verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, him being Elisha, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened, his, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Aren't you thankful that you know he that's with me is greater than he that's against me? Amen. No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Amen. The enemy may make plans. Uh, he may lay traps. Uh, he may bring mighty armies. Uh, but he that is with me uh, is more than he that is against me. Amen? So when the servant learned that they were surrounded, he became alarmed. He's afraid. He, he doesn't know what to do. But Elisha was not concerned because he understood that the Lord's presence was with him. And it doesn't really matter what kings and kingdoms and armies and all the principalities and rules of this world want to do. If the Lord's with him, he's going to be okay. Amen? So we have to learn to put all of our trust in the Lord. Even in the middle of our, especially in the middle of our adversity. Especially whenever things go on against us. Especially when it seems like the deck is stacked against us. We must cry out to him. Call upon his name. Amen. You don't get through adversity by avoiding it. You get through adversity by praying your way through it. Amen. When we face adversity, he's there and he cares for us. First Peter chapter five and verse seven said, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. That's what you're called to do. In the middle of adversity, in the middle of trouble, in the middle of a trial, it's easy to fume and fret and worry and make plans. We all we're all problem solvers when we're in the middle. Of, we 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 want to fix things just as quick as we can fix things. Sometimes you need to get your hands off of it, and you need to get on your knees in the presence of God and touch the heart of God and let God do what you cannot do for yourself. Amen. That's a whole lot of introductory material, but I'm going to turn to Habakkuk's prayer now. And as we turn to Habakkuk's prayer, his frustration over the spiritual situation in Israel is, is made very clear. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 1, Habakkuk uses the word burden to describe the prophetic message that he's given. The idea conveyed is that the prophecy was a burden upon the man of God who was charged with delivering it. So it's, it's, a, it's a burden to Habakkuk. He, he sees it as a reason to complain, and he proceeds to make his complaint to God, not about God, but to God. And his questions are not all that different 
than questions we sometimes ask. It seemed to Habakkuk that the workers of evil, those who've done wrong, those who didn't respect God, those who had no fear of God, were getting by without punishment. And he found that difficult to comprehend because those who were supposed to have been the people of God were under the judgment of God. And even further, he found it unsettling that God would use Babylon, an evil people, to exact judgment upon the people of Judah who were supposed to have been the people of God. We can all relate to those kind of questions. You know, the, the little couple in the church who's praying for years for a child and, and she miscarries. And the first thing you start saying is there's so many kids in this world and the parents don't even want them. How come, where's the justice? Oh, my friend, it's not about the justice that we perceive. God really does have a plan. He really does have a purpose. He really does know more than we know. Rather than directing those complaints and making them about God, we need to take those complaints to the Lord and make them to God. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to, to wonder. Just learn to channel that towards God, to God. Let God answer rather than making it a condemning attack on God. We don't, we don't intend to start there, but that's often where we end up. Where's God in all this? You know, every time there's a school shooting or some other terrible tragedy in this, in this country, somebody asks the question, where was God? Where was God at Columbine? Where was God here? Or where was God there? God was where he's always been. Evil and terror and horrible things happen in this world as a result of sin. And Jesus Christ went to an old rugged cross so that men and women could be delivered from that sin. And when you see evil and horror play out before your eyes, it's the result of sin. There is an answer. The answer is the cross. The answer is the blood of Jesus. The answer is salvation that can be obtained no other way than through Jesus Christ. But we can all relate to those kind of questions. Habakkuk, at the end of his complaining to God, in the second chapter, the beginning of the second chapter, he, he, and he, he stumbled upon and timeless biblical principle of truth as a matter of fact the apostle paul would at least twice and perhaps three times use Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4 as a text in the new testament to begin to expound his theology the the part of the verse that he lifts and uses is the last half of the verse which simply says but the just shall live by his faith the just shall live by faith. You remember that? That, that appears in the book of Hebrews. That appears in the book of Romans. It appears in one other place that's slipping my mind right at the moment. But the just shall live by faith. We'll not always understand the ways of God. We'll not always understand why. But we can trust Him. We can serve Him by faith faith the just are not called to walk in the way that they know the just are not called to walk in the way that they understand the just are called to walk in the way of faith and one of the greatest tests of faith 
arises from the difference that exists between the perspective of God and our perspective. You see, God's knowledge is perfect, and our knowledge is imperfect. And God sees the full picture, and we see only a minute part of the picture. And we think we can pronounce judgment based on what we see. God views all things through his eyes of grace and mercy and compassion. And we often fall short of mercy and compassion when we view the unrighteous behaviors of others. But faith teaches us to trust God no matter what we see, no matter what we understand or don't understand, no matter what is in our narrow scope of vision, to trust Him because He knows all things, because He views the whole picture, because He does all things well. He makes everything work together for good. No, I can't explain it when I'm in the middle of the storm, but I understand it. It's a settled reality in my life. He makes everything good. You know, it may be the sickness that kills me, but to the very end, I'm going to believe that He can heal me. It may be the sickness that takes my life, but I hope my last words are, God is good all the time. He's good no matter what's going on in my body. He's good no matter what's going on in my home. He's good no matter what's going on in my workplace. He's good no matter what's going on anywhere around me. God is good. We have to live by faith. We're going to live with that constant awareness. We have to trust Him. He's watching out for us. He orders our footsteps. It's fundamentally contrary to human nature to trust in things we can't see. You know, they always do the team building leadership classes. They'll have you get up and they'll get you on a little platform off the ground and they'll put your team behind you. And the team's job is to catch you. Your job is to stand there where you can't see them and fall backwards off the platform. Listen, folks, it takes some serious trust to fall into what you can't see. Now, we we all think, well, I, I could do that. But when you're standing on the edge and you don't have any idea, and you're starting to calculate in your mind, Sally's not that strong, and I know she's standing on one side, and... You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that could go wrong here. It takes faith, and it's contrary to our way of viewing things. We, we want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in tangible objects. We want to trust in money. We want to trust in doctors. We want to trust in, in stuff that we understand. We want to trust in stuff that we can see written down in front of us, but to trust in a spiritual entity, to trust in one that is physically intangible and invisible. It's not that you can't feel him, but you can't handle him with your hands. Amen? And, and to trust in one that, that is beyond the scope of our understanding it's no small thing to relinquish our reliance on human intellect and will and surrender ourselves to God in the middle of our adversity and decide no matter what tomorrow brings I'm going to walk by faith I'm just going to believe God's got this I'm just going to believe God's in charge of this I'm just going to believe God's going to take care of me 
And if this is the thing that brings me to my end, I'll die believing God's taking care of me. I mean, that's what Job said. He said, fellas, just so you know, even if the Lord himself came out of the heavens with a sword and took my life right here, right now, yet will I trust him. Even if this thing that I'm going through kills me, I'm going to trust him. Reliance upon human resources as opposed to reliance upon God always turns out bad. Amen. The Lord knows the way we take. He knows what we're facing. He knows the end from the beginning. And we're foolish if we think we can trust ourselves and reject his leadership and his guidance. We need him. Amen. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 13 said, You've plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. Hosea 10 and 13, bro. You've plowed wickedness. You've reaped iniquity. You've eaten the fruit of lies because thou didst trust in thy way in the multitude of thy mighty men. Said all these evil, wicked things, iniquity, and these, these lies and these things have come upon you because you trusted in yourself. You trusted in your way. You trust in the multitude of your mighty men. Anybody remember what happened when David said he's going to number the armies of Israel so he could brag about how many men he could bring to battle? What happened? God sent a plague and started killing those men until David comes to the realization, my strength is not in chariots. Uh, my strength is not in horses. Uh, my strength is not in men that can pull a bow and draw a sword. Uh, my strength is in the Lord. Uh, amen. That's where my victory comes from. Psalm chapter 20 and verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots. These are the words of David. And some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God in the face of the multitude of problems and trouble and trial in the face of the, all the, the adversity that you may face in your life I come to challenge you to put your trust in God to put your faith in Him Habakkuk prophesies in a time of judgment and his pronouncements in that prophecy and prayer are against Judah they're against the people of God and Habakkuk, in the middle of all of the trouble and trial and turmoil and complaints and terrible things that are happening and terrible things that are still yet to happen, Habakkuk opts to embrace God and his ways. And he puts his faith in God. Trusting God is always the right thing to do. Amen. He's righteous. He's sovereign. He's omnipotent. And if we want to live by faith and we put our trust in him, that's the only right decision for those who would be called the people of God. That brings us to the last part of the book of Habakkuk because in Habakkuk's prophecy, it's all darkness, gloom, and despair. The whole prayer is filled with all these terrible things. But the final two verses of the book of Habakkuk bring the prophecy to an apex. Beginning in verse 18, that's Habakkuk 3 and 18. Habakkuk's response to God's pronouncement is this. Yet I will rejoice. And why don't you back up to verse 17. 
This, this is the verse that directly, we read this already once tonight, but this is the verse that directly precedes this. The fig tree shall not blossom. There's not going to be a fruit in the vines. The labor of the olives shall fail, and the fields are going to yield no meat. The flock is cut off from the fold. There's no herds in the stalls. It don't get any more gloomy. Then he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. There's no better course of action when you're facing adversity than to praise and worship the Lord. There's no better course of action than to rejoice in Him. Uh, amen. Praise and worship is the key to your victory. Amen. The devil doesn't know what to do with you whenever he throws everything he has to throw at you and you stop and say, you know what? Uh, I think I need to praise the Lord. Uh, amen. He's been good to me. He's blessing the devil. Going, Wait a minute. Don't you remember? This problem's happening. And that's going on. And I put this stumbling block in your way. But he's been mighty, mighty good to me. He's never let me down. He's never failed me. He's never forsaken me. He's never abandoned me. He's always provided for me. And when you begin to praise him and you begin to lift him up, it changes the perspective. It changes everything. Habakkuk shows us the proper response to adversity is worship. That's hard. To, that's sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow. We we want the proper response to adversity to be to work it out, get a plan, make a list, do something, feel like you're doing something. When sometimes most not sometimes not most of the time all the time, the best response you got is to put your hands in here and tell him. I trust you, Jesus, because you've proven yourself to be faithful. That's what Paul said. He that promised is faithful. He's shown himself to be faithful. He's demonstrated his faithfulness over and over and over again. And there's no power above the Almighty. And when we worship him and when we lift him up and we declare him to be the, the sovereign God who has all power, uh, he delights uh, in exhibiting that power through us and on our behalf. And you just never know what a, a single praise break might yield in your life. You just never know, amen, if you stop in the middle of your storm and cry out to him, amen. If you stop in the middle of your circumstance and praise him, you just never know how dramatically things may change in just a moment. He's prayer answering God, amen. And he can completely turn events to our blessing. And even to our advantage in the middle of adversity. What the devil meant to destroy you ends up blessing you when you put your trust in God. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 said, And we know that all things work together for good. I've hit that a hundred times already tonight. To them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose all things somebody say all that encompasses everything that's the good and the bad and the ugly for you Clint Eastwood fans all things work together for good to them that love God amen Habakkuk also recognized the glorious power of of the almighty and he praised God Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 19 is the only verse in the Bible outside of the book of Psalms 
which uses the combination name for God, Yahweh Adnai. And that appears only here in the Hebrew and in several places in the book of Psalms. That's significant because Yahweh Adnai means sovereign Lord. Amen. It means that when he says, and it's translated in your King James Version just as Lord, but when he says sovereign Lord, he's talking about the one that has all power. You know what it means to be sovereign. Amen. The sovereign answers to nobody. The sovereign has all authority. The sovereign has all power. And when he begins to praise God, Habakkuk is acknowledging and exalting the fact that the Lord is supreme in his power and his glory. And those who put their trust in him, amen, will, will be able to have confidence uh, in the fact that God will bring them through whatever they face. Amen. As Habakkuk praised God, he was both extolling the Lord and exhibiting his faith in the power of God. Too many believers turn inward when they face adversity. We want to cut ourselves off. Well, you know, I just don't feel like going to church tonight. I don't want to answer questions. I don't want to have to explain. I don't want to have to tell a hundred times, Harrison, how I wrecked my truck. I just don't want to have to do it. I just want to stay home. He didn't say that to me tonight, but hey, right there makes a good example. We want to just we just isolate ourselves, draw into ourselves. We avoid church services. We avoid the people. Listen, the only the they may not be the only people that love you, but there's nobody in this world loves you more than the church. Amen. I understand you got family, and I got family that's not in the church. And my family loves me to death. But I am a firm believer that we that are baptized in the name of Jesus and washed in the blood of Jesus, amen, have a bond. It's a familial bond, amen. This is the body of Christ. I don't know how I got off on that, but there you go. That was free. Amen. The solution for victory in Jesus involves faithfulness to him, faithfulness to the house of God. Amen. Faithfulness to the fellowship with other believers. You need church. I mean, you need church. It's not that we need to see you. You need to see us too. Amen. We need each other. You need the, the fellowship of the body of Christ. You need the preaching of the word of God. You need that what can only happen in the anointed presence of God as a man of God delivers the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword and that pierces through the very heart of the matter, gets right down inside of you. You need that. And you need worship. You need the opportunity. I'll never forget. And I'm, I'm going long. I'm, I'm, it's four minutes till eight, and I'm going to get there. I may be five minutes long, but just bear with me. I quit telling all these extra stories. We'd be done. I'll never forget. I lost my job. It was a Wednesday. I got fired. I hadn't been fired from very many things in my life, Brother Donnie. <laughs> you feel like a heel when you come home. You've got a car payment got a house payment and, and I, don't, I don't have I don't not I just don't have any income I don't even know where I'm going to find any income it was a Wednesday we went to church that Wednesday night and as my habit was I sat on the front row on this side and they started singing I don't even remember what they were singing but they started singing church started and everybody's just kind of sitting there on their pew it's Wednesday night you know we're all tired and 
And I just, something rose up in my spirit. I said, you know what? I'm going to worship God no matter what's going on. I'm not going to let this stop me. I stood to my feet and I began to pray. One of the greatest blessings I ever remember receiving in a church service was the night I decided I may not have a job. The holidays may be upon us. I may not know how I'm paying for anything, but I'm going to praise you, Lord, because you've been good to me. You've been good to me. You've been good to me. I took a job just shortly thereafter delivering, I mean, like the next day delivering donuts. That's about as low as you get. Amen. Delivering donuts to to hotel chains. It started like at 3 o'clock in the morning. Had to be done before daylight. I'll never forget because there was a tornado that hit Jonesboro and I was right in the middle of it in a stupid donut delivery van. I worked that little job for two weeks. And in the course of that time, seeking another job, God opened a door for me and I, I entered the, the field that I was supposed to be in all along. Landed a job as a graphic designer for the J. Way Quinn Company that owned a bunch of convenience stores here in Jonesboro or there in Jonesboro and worked the next 10 years for them. was highly blessed and favored of the Lord. They finally sold the stores when they did. Uh, I, I never saw it. I didn't, even, I didn't even have the chance to seek employment. Uh, somebody came to me and offered me twice what I was making to go work for them. And it's God, God took care of us. He's never failed me. He's never let me down. But I have to learn to praise him no matter what's going on. Quickly, let me wrap it up. Habakkuk ends with these words. He'll make my feet like hind's feet. And he will make me walk upon my high places. The word hind refers to a fallow deer in this text. And it's actually the, the Hebrew is specific to a doe. It's a, it's a, we often hear preachers preach this and they talk about that big buck. But it's a doe. It's a, it's a fow female fallow deer. And every deer hunter in here that's ever hunted in the hilly country in the mountains or hills or you've ever been to somewhere like Colorado or just up into northwest Arkansas or even the Ozarks, you know that there, there are places that a, even a small doe deer can walk nimbly and easily. But it's difficult for me to go. Her feet are swift and sure. Gives her the ability to ascend the heights while I'm struggling far behind trying to find a foothold to scale the same heights. I just don't have that ability. But the prophet said, he makes my feet like hind's feet. In other words, as I trust him and as I praise him and as I lift him up and as I turn my heart to heaven, he causes me to be able to ascend the heights, to stand in the high places, to reach that which was previously impossible for me to reach that's how you overcome that's how you come through adversity the message of Habakkuk nearly three chapters we couldn't touch it all didn't even touch a fraction of it tonight but it's three chapters of pronouncements of future judgments against the people of God because of the wickedness and there are a lot of biblical truths there and principles to be gleaned but perhaps the greatest truth in the book of Habakkuk comes from that prayer. We learn how to deal with adversity, how to deal with trouble and trial, to put our trust in the Lord, to count Him 
worthy of praise no matter what's going on in our life. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? One, one writer said that adversity is the classroom of human life. And it is there that we become the students of life and face the tests of life and ultimately determine our success or our failure. If that's true, then Habakkuk teaches us that we can pass the test if we maintain unwavering faith in Jesus Christ. If we're willing to trust him, no matter what we're going through, if we'll turn our praise to him and magnify him as we exalt him. Amen. Habakkuk says, yet I will praise him. And he follows that with, he makes my feet like hinds feet. I'm inviting somebody in this place on a Wednesday evening to step a little bit higher up the mountain. Get above your trouble and your trial. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to look back down and see all that stuff that was holding me back, but it's not holding me back anymore. Amen. My, I, I just believe in this. I feel the unction and the anointing of the Holy Ghost flowing through this house right now. Amen. I believe God's calling somebody in this place to put your trust in Him, to turn your voice to Him, to turn your praise to Him. I know I don't have a musician to call, but could you just lift your voice and for the next few moments, uh, could you just praise the Lord right in the middle of whatever you're going through? Amen. I feel like heaven's wanting to move right now and inviting somebody just to step on up to another level. Amen. Step on up. Maybe it changes your perspective. Maybe you go home and think, you know, amen, I don't know yet how it's going. I still don't have the answer, uh, but I do know who's going to work it out. Uh, I do know where my answer's coming from. Uh, the scripture said, lift up your eyes uh, under the hills uh, from whence cometh your help. Uh, amen. I know where my help's coming from. Uh, amen. I know where my answer's coming from. Uh, I know where my provision's coming from, and I'm going to trust him. 